On this week's episode, it's a little bit of Downtown Abbey at the box office. What's the state of PlayStation in 2019? And 25 Years of Friends and the Shawshank Redemption. All this and more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate everyone out there checking out all of our great programs. But it wouldn't be a Pop Culture Cosmos without my good friend. He's our own Chandler of Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to check out what he's doing today at popculturecosmos.com, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. And all of our stuff going on in our social media at Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanity Media, Game Source, and of course his book, Congratulations, You Suck. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. What's up, man? What's up? What's up? I don't have any friends references locked and loaded here, but I am ready to talk some pop culture. Yeah, sounds like you're full of Central Perk today, my friend. Oh, throws out the reference there. But we will be talking later in the show about the 25th anniversary of Friends and also as well the Shawshank Redemption. Plus, we're going to be talking about the Emmys, box office results for this weekend, and who was right and who was wrong from our PCC multiverse. Plus, we'll also be talking the state of PlayStation as this week the state of play for PlayStation is coming around this week. And we'll be talking about where the PlayStation stands at this point in time. Plus, also the Sega Genesis Mini. With all the stuff that came out this weekend as far as video games and the Nintendo Switch Lite and all the hoopla, we almost forgot to mention that the Sega Genesis Mini also came out this weekend. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well. And of course, we're also going to go ahead and mention another great list of 10 on our top 200 video games of all time. This time we're covering titles 91 to 100 on our list today. So it's going to be a great show we got for you. How was your weekend, by the way? Uh, it was good. We uh, recorded a little topic apocalypse stuff. Well, for me, it was actually pretty good because I got a chance to go out and check out the Life is Beautiful Festival this week here in Vegas. It takes place over a three-day period right there in downtown Las Vegas. Many great acts were there. Zed is taking the stage later on post Malone this evening on the day that we're taping us. But there's so many great acts. Toto was out there earlier today. There were so many other great acts like the Black Keys, Little Wayne, Portugal the Man, Billie Eilish. I know everybody was looking forward to her performance, Chance the Rapper. There was a lot of great performances there. And in fact, Pod Saves America was there as well. I sent you a picture of it. They had their own stage at Life is Beautiful. In fact, one of the four stages that were there. People could just walk around, just have a good time, all the different booths. And you know, like I said, at various areas and various parts of the festival area. In fact, they took over the streets of downtown Las Vegas, literally. So you would be going down what normally would be 6th Street or 7th Street, and you'd just be going down the street or Ogden or anything like that. If you're a Vegas local, you know where these streets are. And you go ahead and see these booths. You go ahead and and maybe walk by uh, a stage. And I'll tell you what, it was just a lot of fun, a lot of great experiences there. But Again, like I said, Pod Saves America was at one of the stages there. And it got me thinking, my friend, we did something similar at the Level Up Expo, and we had a great time. 
Wouldn't it be great for some year for Pop Culture Cosmos to have another live show at maybe, let's say it, Life is Beautiful? Yeah, that'd be fun. I would hope that we would be as awesome as we are on the air. That could be a good thing to look forward to in the future. And I would just like to play more live shows everywhere. If that was the case, life would be more beautiful indeed. But again, it's going to be a great episode we got for you. But first, we got to start off with this, my friend. All right. Who's going to be eating some crow and who's going to be dining delight tonight when we talk about the box office this weekend? Because (laughs) somebody was right and somebody was wrong when it comes to the results from the domestic box office because Downtown Abbey exceeded expectations and earned over $31 million this weekend at the box office. An actual record for Focus Features. So congratulations to them. Who called it, man? I'm telling you right now. Don't ever count out those Abbey followers. Chad went to go see Downtown Abbey in 3D this week, and he says that he he said something funny about how the drama pops off the screen. So why they filmed in 3D, I don't know. But that to me, okay, I, I give you the popularity of the show. That's why I picked it on our last show, the PCZ Multiverse, as leading the box office. I thought, you know what, this would be a show that I think would really translate well into a movie. I think it has enough followers, and that's why I picked it to go ahead and be number one for the weekend. And, yes, I was right on that, pat myself on the back and all that. But to see it in 3D, you know, knowing the type of structure that is, I mean, what do they show? Like somebody with a duster dusting off something in 3D just right at you right there. Just That seems kind of weird that they would have that type of movie in 3D. But you know what? If they want to make the chunk of change, I guess they had to go ahead and and have an option for that as well. But I see the movie having long legs because of the fact that the type of demographic, an older demographic, is going to go maybe probably during the week. This movie should do well during the week for the next two, three, four weeks because it is a movie that I think it caters to an older demographic that goes to see movies during the course of the week. So. I see possibly even maybe $100 million out of it. If not, it probably will be close. So kudos to everyone involved when it comes to Downtown Abbey. This is where it gets tricky, my friend, because in a virtual dead heat for second, we have Ad Astra and Rambo Last Blood. Both have their issues. And the reason why I say that is because Ad Astra, at only $19 million earned over the domestic weekend, needs a lot more help internationally because Rumors have it that the production budget is somewhere in the ballpark of 80 to $100 million. And if that's the case, even though the reviews were pretty solid for it, it's going to have to earn a lot more money to get actually even close to breaking even. And with Ramble Last Blood, the reviews on it were really bad. The Metacritic score is really low on it. And it got to the point where the author of the Rambo series, the original author that, where they based it from in the first place, saw the film and said, you know what? All those bad reviews are justified. So when you hear that about Rambo and you hear that about Ad Astra, what are your thoughts about where they were placed on the schedule? Should they have been placed somewhere maybe in August when we needed more films like these to maybe carry an audience even more? I don't know. I mean, this is a month that doesn't really have a lot of films coming out anyways. And what is the the summer box office these days? It's not it's made up of Marvel films and Disney films. And those films always carry on for weeks and weeks and weeks. You can look at Avengers pretty much made money the entire summer. So, I mean, that's, that's the landscape people are fighting against. So why would you take a film like Ad Astra or Rambo? That's 
you know, not super well known and not really killing it in the box office right now and put them up against, you know, juggernauts of, of Marvel, whatever properties they have coming out or whatever, you know, if a Star Wars movie comes out, this is actually the perfect place to put it because, you know, you have Star Wars coming out in December. It just seems like a decent place. You have those two or three months in the fall where there's kind of a, a dry spell going on. I, I honestly, I think that this is a great place for those to be as opposed to getting overshadowed by anything that, you know, Disney might put out in the summer months. I just don't think they should have put them all out in the same week. I think if you saw Downtown Abbey or if you saw one of these other films, Ad Astra or Rambo Last Blood, maybe a week earlier or a week later or something, just just to be in a different spot so it could get more highlighted because it came off like I was talking about. Well, our most recent show, the PC Multiverse on Friday, what was the theme for it? It was a battle royale between five different films. And that's pretty much what it was because it was in a mix of five different films, two that came out beforehand and three that just came out. I mean, to get in that type of mix, I think, caused a little bit of audience confusion. So that's why Ad Astra and Rambo Last Blood maybe didn't perform where they needed to be. I think both performed right around their expectations. But in the case of Ad Astra, there has to be a lot more. But still... With Downtown Abbey getting the lion's share of the box office weekend, plus still It Chapter 2 and Hustlers right behind those two movies at $17 million in fourth and fifth place, right now is a tough time to go ahead and check out all these different movies that are out there right now. It's great that there's a variety, but sometimes that means some of these other movies are going to get swallowed up. And it looks like Ad Astra and Ramble Last Blood, as other movies are coming out, in late September, early October, might not be able to ever find their niche with an audience before it's too late. And especially in the case of Ad Astra, that's really going to be depressing because the fact that it is a decently rated film, but it's going to be a really a big bomb and bad word for Brad Pitt going forward. Yeah, but, you know, look, look at it this way, too. Not, you know, we we're talking about all this time about declining box office numbers, right? So, is there really a good time to release a movie these days? Because I feel like Ad Astra, Downtown Abbey, Rambo, Last Blood, like these are all movies that people are probably going to really eat up when they come out on Redbox or digital and stuff like that. I I just, there, there are very few types of films that people will go to the movie theaters for these days. And Downtown Abbey obviously is doing its thing, but, you know, Ad Astra is a science fiction. Rambo is, has a, you know, quote unquote, washed up 90s action star in it. People are going to watch them, but I just I don't think that the movies are going to be the place that people go to watch them. So I'm I'm predicting like a lot of people what it doesn't make in box office revenue. It's going to I'm not going to say it's going to make up for it on, you know, in home video sales. But I think that a lot of people are going to be watching these movies, just not in the movie theater. I think Rambo Last Blood, even with the scathing reviews that it has still at some point in time, since it only cost about 50 million dollars to make will probably break even or come close to it. So the film companies will not have to go ahead and write down too much of a loss on it. So we'll go ahead and leave that be. It's, it's Ad Astra that will be the issue on how big of a bust this will be. And that's going to be sad for, like I said, Brad Pitt, because this was a somewhat positively rated movie, not a high level rated movie, but still somewhere in the sevens, sixes, even eights out there. I've seen, I mean, come on. That's something that a lot of people would be entertained by. And I'm sure by the time, like you said, when it gets to home streaming or even broadcast television, a lot of people will be looking forward to it because they'll say, hey, it's Brad Pitt. 
But still, for him right now, coming off the high momentum from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and the fact that he's getting some serious Oscar buzz for that role, it's a shame that this is going to be a blip in the radar in the wrong direction. Maybe. I, I just It's a science fiction film, though. You know, that's like Sandra Bullock was really pushing it with gravity, and that ended up doing really well. So I wonder if they're trying to maybe hop on some of that momentum a little bit. But anytime a big star does a science fiction film, it's really it either does really well or it does really bad. It's not, there's not really any middle ground for that. You know, Arrival was something that critics loved, but uh, it was something that the regular moviegoers didn't really like. So of course, you know, that helped Amy Adams and uh, Jeremy Renner out a lot, but a lot of people just didn't care for it. So it sounds like in this case with that Astra, you know, the average movie folk might be enjoying it, but the critics don't really like it, which you know, the critics, as we all know, you know, no offense to me and you, or they're, they're a bunch of snobs these days. So, you know, you have a checklist of things that need to be in a film for them to really like it. And maybe it's possible. I, I, I still want to see Ad Astra. So it's possible that it could be really good. It's just not, you know, critic material. I actually want to go see Ad Astra too. And hmm, I remember with the arrival, someone writing an article with their thoughts on the film and I also someone that actually on a previous episode, around the time the movie came out, shared many deep thoughts on it as well. And I think if you go over to Pop Culture Cosmos or popculturecosmos.wordpress.com and type in the words, The Arrival, I think you'll find what you're looking for in regards to Josh Peterson's words on the movie. Any scathing thoughts that I've ever written on our website has been in reply to Variety their critics are just the meanest people ever. So like at any time I get to fight back against them, like this is my duty, you know, anytime I get to fight back against variety and their film critics, I'm all about that. But then again, if variety came knocking on your door and said, Mr. Peterson, we'd like to hire you and, you know, give you a shovel full of money for you to go ahead and talk some smack about some films. Would you be inclined to do so, sir? I would be a good film reviewer. What I would do is I would talk trash about their film reviewers still anyways, just because they're very mean people. Once again, it is Downtown Abbey getting the top spot at the domestic box office. And it's also doing very well overseas as well. Of course, Great Britain, Europe is doing very well over there. So kudos to everyone at Focus Pictures for Downtown Abbey. And it looks like for once I was right. What are your thoughts out there on the domestic box office this weekend? Are you going to check out Downtown Abbey or did you already check it out? Or did you also go ahead and check out Rambo Last Blood or Ad Astra? Please share us your thoughts on that. Or if you stop by the Life is Beautiful Festival, we want to hear about your time at the festival there as well. Share us your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, PopCultureCosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? Listen up, all you gamers out there. Miracle Fruit Oil is ramping up the deals on its awesome Vitabrace gaming wristband. Vitabrace is clinically proven to help improve your gaming performance. Vitabrace will help you achieve your gaming goals, whether it's that single-player campaign, retro classic, or battle royale. Head on over today to MiracleFruitOil.com, and if you use the code VITABRACE50, you'll get half off on a Vitabrace gaming wristband, or use the code BUY1GET1, 
and it's buy one, get one free. That's right, just use the code VITABRACE50 or buy and the number one, get and the number one today to get some great deals on some VitaBrace gaming wristbands. So check it out today at MiracleFruitOil.com. VitaBrace, win with it. Well, my friend, we're also talking Emmys on today's show because the Emmys were just announced and you know, I'm not going to go down the complete list of winners and losers and the whole nine yards, but for anybody that's checking out the show notes, I will go ahead and put the link for entertainmentonline.com's list of the Emmy winners for this year, 2019. I'm just going to go ahead into and talk about the big shows and basically describe what went on there as far as for the best original drama, Game of Thrones. What a shocker. Best original limited series. Chernobyl, that was well-earned and well-deserved. I saw it. It's going to be on my top 10 list right now of television. I'm going to tell everybody again out there, Chernobyl deserved all the credit it can get. Best original comedy, I think for people that aren't familiar with the show, it kind of came out of left field, but Fleabag. And best original TV movie, you're going to like this one, Josh, Black Mirror Bandersnatch. So I want to hear your thoughts on these four I know you didn't get a chance yet to check out Fleabag or Chernobyl, although Chernobyl, definitely you should. But Game of Thrones is something that you and I talked about in its last season. I don't know, man. This show has been great and had various levels of great over the course of the past few years. This year, this season was not one of them. I'm not really sure it deserved the honor that it got. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that it won necessarily because this season was good. I a lifetime got, achievement award? Yeah, well, I mean that that's that's what I'm trying to say. Like I think because it became such a cultural phenomenon, I think that's what got these nominations going. And if didn't, I think we talked about this once where the the actors did they have to submit their own names to the Emmys? Most of them were submitted by HBO. There was about 3 or 4 that were not submitted by HBO. They had to self-submit them. I will give you one of the winners, Peter Dinklage, did win for Game of Thrones. Even though that last episode, especially that last corny self-mentioning Game of Thrones type deal part that scene was really corny. I don't know. I just Peter Dinklage, I've seen him in the show over the past few years. And you said it yourself, how well he's done before in previous seasons. Again, like the rest of the cast and the rest of the show, I don't really think this year was up to snuff. No, I mean, I don't think that this last season was good. We, you know, we've discussed our thoughts on that, but it's still, it ended, you know, this was the end of the movement. And I think that's why it got all these award nominations or awards or however many they won. I think it's just because this was the end of it. Like this is the last of Game of Thrones we'll see for probably a really long time, but it did something that I've never seen before. It, it got a whole generation of people a multitude of generations of people interested in a fantasy type show, like a a long saga of consisting of fantasy and dragons and sword fights and stuff like that. And that's something that has never been done before. Not even with Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings won a lot of awards, but it wasn't something that I, I honestly, I don't think something like Lord of the Rings could exist in the form today that it existed back when Peter Jackson made those movies. But here we have game of Thrones eight years later or nine years later. And it, it did. And it continued to build momentum in a time when people don't really have the imagination for that kind of film. So like, I totally understand why it got nominated for all these awards. The last season was not good, 
but it ended, you know, and that's like in the last season of the show, like that's when it had its highest numbers. So I see why it got nominated and I'm glad that it won, you know, won some of the the Lifetime Achievement Award. I'm glad I see Outstanding Drama Series and uh, I'm biased because it's the only one on this list I've seen, but I, I totally understand why it would win. I'm not so sure because Secession, you know, that's the show that a lot of people are really interested in right now. Although personally, I've seen it and I don't know, it's it's kind of like a more serious version of Arrested Development to me. I'm just not as in love with the show, I think, as a lot of other people are. This Is Us, Pose, Ozark, Killing Eve, Bodyguard, Better Call Saul. That's a pretty decent list of shows that could have been, I think, as capable or even more capable of winning the outstanding drama series personally than this season of Game of Thrones. But you're right. It is based off of, I think, in a lot of ways, a Lifetime Achievement Award for the entire series, how popular it was and how much of a pop culture event this past season was in its entirety. So I get it. I understand. It definitely deserved a lot of the Emmy Awards from the technical aspect of it. I mean, when you look at the special effects, when you look at some of the imagery, the cinematography, the costuming, I mean, HBO was dishing out more dollars on this show than anyone else was on their show. So obviously it translated into a better product from that standpoint, and it deserved any kudos it gets there. But to me, I just think that Peter Dinklage and the show itself had better years. I just don't think that this year was the finest year and the finest example of seasons for the Game of Thrones in its entirety. But again, like you said, we often see this with the Academy Awards and we see this with the Enemy Awards where they're not giving it based off of one particular performance, but a lifetime or an overall story arc that they're giving it for instead. So I guess that's the case in this instance. But I know you watch Black Mirror Bandersnatch. So tell me your thoughts on Black Mirror Bandersnatch. Was this episode good enough for you to be deserving of the original television movie award or was it the concept that you watch it and it could branch out in so many different ways if you watch it in a certain fashion is that novelty and the fact that black mirror bandersnatch was the first of its kind in doing that was that more the reason why it earned its emmy award it was a concept for sure i think that had a lot to do with it but it same time, like Black Mirror, even before Bandersnatch, they've been kind of breaking the mold on what is and is not acceptable for a TV show or where the, what kind of stories they're going to tell, where they're going to go, what kind of things they want to talk about. Like They really break into a lot of stuff that is, you know, they're things that society thinks about, but nobody wants to talk about it. You know, it's the white elephant in the room. Nobody ever wants to point it out. And Black Mirror's done a great job of that. And with Bandersnatch, they kind of really push the envelope even further by letting you choose how this was going to unfold. They basically made you the writer of the story. And, you know, it's weird. It's a weird parallel. I don't even know if they did this on purpose, but it's a weird parallel to, to real life, right? Cause we're kind of making our own decisions and it's just, it's weird to see it play out on a screen. But I, I, I know that they were in trouble with the people that made those choose your own adventure novels, right? There's some kind of lawsuit going on. But I mean, I really liked it. I thought it was, I wouldn't say revolutionary, but it was different. You know, it's something you don't see on TV a lot. So I would totally agree with this. You know, I didn't see, um, I didn't see Deadwood or King. I didn't see any of the other movies. So maybe I, I just, saw Deadwood, the movie. I thought it was pretty good. Not great, but I thought it was definitely a pretty good movie. 
Right. Yeah. It's, I've, I heard good things. I just, I, I wasn't really, I haven't seen the series. So like, I haven't watched it. Maybe one day I'll get to watch it, but yeah, I just, I, I think black mirror is as far as, you know, movies that I've seen on Netflix so far this year, like black mirror is definitely at the top of that list because it, it was fun. And it was something that I, I don't usually go and talk about television shows with people. And this was one that I really did want to go out and talk to people about. No, I, I agree with you. I remember the time that it came out in late December, I think it was, that it really started to go ahead and get that movement, get people get interested into it because of the novel concept that it was. And Black Mirror Bandersnatch, I think, is something a lot of people should still go out of their way to see on Netflix. Plus, another show that I think is Chernobyl. I think if you go get a chance to get HBO, Chernobyl is definitely something that you should be interested in because Chernobyl is something that I think is really worth watching. I'm very sad to say that Jared Harris, who, I again, I've said this before with Jessica Boggs, and I believe I've said it before with you, that Jared Harris's performance is one of the finest performances on television this year, and how he did not get the Emmy Award for his performance, I'm still at a loss, even though he was nominated. I just, I'm just still at a loss. It was just that very well done. In fact, it's one of the best of the year, and I'm just sad that it didn't get the wins that I think it deserved for him. The show won, which I think is very well deserved. I think it's a great portrayal. Like I've said before, if you get by the fact that all these Russians, all these people from the Soviet Union are speaking British, I think if you can get over that, then definitely is something that is, to me, was a very monumental effort in television. And I'm just sad to see that his efforts in it, because him and Stellan Skarsgård, who everybody knows from the Marvel movies, his performance was really solid, but Jared Harris stole the show. I think for me, it was just really a great thing to see. And unfortunately, he didn't get the Emmy for it. But still, Chernobyl winning best miniseries was definitely something very well-deserved. Black Mirror Bandersnatch, I found very entertaining. And again, it's all based off of how you see it. And, and that's, I think, like I said, part of the reason why it won is because you can see it and you can see it from a totally different standpoint from be almost beginning to end. And you take different steps than the way I see it. And I can see a totally different movie from beginning to end. And that novel concept, I think, in and of itself deserves at least a lot of recognition. And obviously, it's one of the main reasons why it did win an Emmy. You're jumping around categories here. Where are we? I, you, we're still black about, on Black Mirror by understand. Okay, because you're talking about actors there for a minute. Oh, I was uh, just going off on a rant for Jared Harris, so sorry. Oh, no, I got you. I'll, um, I'll do it again on the Best of TV with Jessica Boggs later on this year, so don't worry. You'll uh, hear this rant again. It's all good. I still want to watch Chernobyl. That's actually, it's it's on my list, you know, as soon as I can not fall asleep while watching TV, I want to check it out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if that ever happens. But Black Mirror Bandersnatch, I'm glad it, it it won. It was very, it was a very unique piece of TV viewing. But I was uh, describing how you can see it and I can see it, and based off our decisions or the way we view it, we might we not see seeing, the same thing. Yeah, we could see yeah. two totally, completely different movies. Correct. Yeah, and I, from what I understand, a lot of people barely even made it through half the movie. So there's it. It goes on to be about an hour and 30 minutes, but a lot of people are only getting like 60 to 70 minutes into it. So definitely it deserved a lot of credit for bringing something to the table that was unique and novel. And a lot of kudos to them for going ahead and producing something of that level. Fleabag, 
I think as a comedy, I've heard a lot of people going ahead and suggest this show. So I am going to go ahead and stream it at some point in time to catch up on it because it is obviously with the Emmy that it earned deserves a lot of credit as well. But with Game of Thrones, I'm telling you, I don't know. This year may have not been the finest year for Game of Thrones, but in the record books, when people are looking 10, 20 years down the line at who won this year for the Emmys, they're going to think that Game of Thrones, that this year was a really great year because of all the awards that it won. And I'm not really sure that's the case. One last props to give to is in a supporting category for actor category for a comedy series. Props to Tony Shalhoub, one of my favorite actors all time. Just a tremendous actor with his fourth Emmy for The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. If you've liked his work as much as I have over the years, you'll truly appreciate everything that he does. And definitely deserving of that award because I've seen his performance there as well. And congratulations to him. But yes, the Emmy winners are in detail. And they're going to be actually, the link is going to be in our show notes right here on the episode. So wherever you're playing this on, you'll be able to go ahead and hopefully link right up to all the complete list of winners from ET Online. What are your thoughts out there on who won the Emmys? Are you mad or you're sad or are you glad? Let us know, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Well, coming up next, Josh and I are going to be talking about the state of play for PlayStation coming up this week, what we'd like to see, and basically the state of PlayStation where it's at in 2019. Then we're going to be talking about Sega Genesis Mini and our numbers 91 to 100 on our top 200 video games of all time. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Get ready for Kitty Origins Evolutions, the latest documentary from Rob McCallum. Thrusted into heavy metal stardom as teenagers with their debut release, Kitty has thrashed and conquered the heavy metal world for the past 20 years. Kitty has defied industry norms, fought back against women and rock stereotypes, and inspired generations since they appeared. And now, for the first time, they've decided to share their untold story. Generously peppered with archival footage shot by the band, this film gives you an honest and brutal look at what it takes to survive in the music industry. Order the DVD, Blu-ray, and live CD triple pack that features recordings from throughout their 20-year illustrious history from RobMcCallumFilms.com. RobMcCallumFilms.com, your place for awesome stories about awesome people and films worth watching. All right, and we're back to the program. It's Pop Culture Cosmos. My friend, this week is PlayStation State of Play. I know you're not the biggest playstation fanboy because i know you always mock playstation fanboys but you do have a playstation 4 you have played some great games on it i mean you and i've talked about horizon zero dawn god of war and so many others but their state of play which is a place where they go ahead and showcase a lot of the games coming up in the near future for playstation is coming up on tuesday so i ask you my friend where we're at with the playstation PlayStation 5 is still somewhat around the corner, still not quite there yet. The Last of Us 2 is still coming out most likely next year, sometime in February. It's what is rumored to be announced this coming Tuesday. But really, at this point in time, is there an issue for the PlayStation 4 owners out there that they're just seeing from Sony that they're just going basically by the numbers? They're just basically just, I'm not saying packed it in already, but they're basically on the way out with the PlayStation 4 because the PlayStation 5 is in the not-too-distant future? Yeah, I think everyone's kind of has one foot out the door with the state of play. 
I'm predicting we're going to see a lot of Death Stranding, and then we're going to see a lot of footage of The Last of Us Part Two. And I'm uh, actually I'm going to make this prediction right here, and it may or may not come true, but I think we're going to get a little glimpse, or you know, at least a conversation about what's happening with the PlayStation Five. Because if you remember, Microsoft did that at E3, and Sony has yet to fully not clarify, but you know, come forth and say, "Hey, this is what we're doing." So I think we're going to get a little taste of what that's going to be, whether it's in a video format or just some guy up on stage talking about it. And what I'd really like to see is more footage of Ghost of Tsushima, but I'm kind of feeling like that might be pushed to PlayStation 5. Do you have anything you're expecting to see, or how well, are you I feeling about it? I want to go back it? to Death Stranding for a second, because we talked about this on a most recent episode as well, about Death Stranding being shown off too much. I know it's a fairly long game, 30, 40, 50 hours, probably knowing Kojima is going to be something like that. And yes, we've seen, what, maybe 10% of it or something like that. But if we see any more footage from it outside of maybe a two, three-minute trailer, again, are we getting into territory where we're showing people too much of the game? I think that's all PlayStation's really got up their sleeves for right now because they're not going to really show us what's happening, you know, what what the titles are on the PlayStation 5 coming out, and maybe they'll tease, maybe Naughty Dog will tease some kind of Uncharted thing, but I really think all PlayStation has going for them is the stuff that they've already announced. And so all we'll really get is to see more footage of that. And Kojima has already, you know, put pictures up on Instagram of him prepping for the PlayStation experience. So I'm pretty sure we're going to be seeing a lot of Death Stranding stuff. And I, as far as, like, too much of the game, Again, it's one of those like super mysterious games, so I don't really know like how much is too much with that because we don't really know enough about it. So if they're going to show us, because they've been putting out, what, like 20 minutes of footage every time they talk about it? More. Almost an hour, man. They, they almost showed off close to an hour at, at the Tokyo Game Show. You know, well, maybe we'll get some more gameplay. I, I imagine PlayStation will have some kind of, you know, montage put together. Kojima will be there probably talking about the game and maybe they'll they'll get into more of the uh, kind of the game's mechanics and what that's all about. But I honestly like Death Stranding is really all they have going for them right now because that's the the biggest hitter they got coming out and the last was part two between those two. That's all that's really, you know, on the agenda until the PlayStation five comes out. Hopefully they won't recycle any footage from Tokyo Game Show with either Death Stranding, or the Final Fantasy VII Remake. I'm sure that will probably have at least some impact with the state of play. I'm sure they're going to have to at least show off a little bit more of that you know, during that time period to get people even more excited about the Final Fantasy VII Remake. Maybe something from the Yakuza series. I'm not sure. Like you said, the Ghost of Tsushima, if footage comes out for that, I think I will be happy because, like you said, it's something that we haven't seen much of. The Last of Us 2 is already programmed to be shown off in great detail at the state of play. So I know a lot of people are going to be excited for there. In fact, the rumors uh, have speculated that a late February release date is going to be announced officially at the state of play. So let's hope that's the case. And there's going to be actually something solid because I was hoping it would come out this holiday season, but unfortunately it missed that window. So late February and being probably one of the last marquee games to come out on the PlayStation 4 will hopefully be the case. And we can start talking about the PlayStation 5 even more come 2020. But again, 
that would be also be a great suggestion about what you said is at least hint to us as gamers what's up ahead with the PlayStation 5. At least show us some maybe schematics, design, what it can do, what it cannot do. I know they're not going to go ahead and tell us anything about any games upcoming, but at least you can tell us what's upcoming for PlayStation 5 so you can get excited about the product because after $100 million in sales, after so many years out as being the number one console and being one of the best-selling consoles of all time, not only winning this generation over the Nintendo Switch, over the Xbox One, but again, being one of the greatest sellers of all time, we finally see a point where sales are lagging, interest is lagging, and we now need something to solidify our hopes going forward for something solid for the PlayStation owners out there and, and people who want to get into it. Yes, PlayStation fanboys will be very, very keen on what's going on this coming Tuesday, but still, this is also to people like you. This is also people like me who have all the systems who just like playing good games and want to go ahead and be a part of something that's backed and that's something that's that's supported and that's something that people will appreciate. And with PlayStation, this past year, I'm not entirely sure that PlayStation has really backed up really a whole lot when it comes to supporting their system. They don't want their fanboys to hear that. We're, we're about to get a whole lot of hate mail because of that comment. Uh, you know, it's just, it is what it is. It's on the tail end. I mean, we've seen this from every console on every console generation where the interest is not there and the main publisher skips out and they do put out a couple, maybe three or four games during the course of the last one year, two years in a console's life cycle. But it looks like more and more that this is going to be the last hurrah for the PlayStation 4 and that this time next year we'll be talking nothing but PlayStation 5 and maybe even the next Xbox as well. Yeah, and see, this is where Microsoft got really smart. They learned how to not just keep momentum in the marketing strategy, but they're also, you know, with their indie titles. And they have a lot of indie titles coming out, and those are coming out all the way through the end of the Xbox One's, uh, you know, reign as the Xbox, whatever, Xbox Next comes out. And if PlayStation, they really don't ever pay love to their indie platformers, so that might be a smart move on their part but obviously as was demonstrated by their move decision to drop out of e3 they're just they don't have a lot up their sleeve and they're trying to you know live off the rumors and suspicions and that's not always going to be enough well we'll have to wait and see what playstation has in mind for us as a last hurrah for the playstation 4 this coming tuesday at the state of play We'll update it on our Game Source Facebook page so you get all the greatest and latest information on the state of play and the games that are introduced or shown off at the state of play this coming Tuesday. My friend, all the stuff that's come out over the past couple of weeks, the Genesis Mini kind of went under the radar, but still it got very solid reviews. It's about 80 bucks. And with all the games that are coming out with it, because there are 42 games that are packed in within this Genesis Mini, it's a pretty good bargain, considering the NES Mini, the PlayStation Mini, and all those other Minis that have come out over the past couple of years. This seems to be, among them, one of the better deals offered, especially for people wanting to get into Genesis, or people who have Genesis, like yourself, or people who love the Genesis, like yourself, so many years back. So I want to hear your thoughts with what's going on with the Genesis Mini 
And is this something that you really can get behind owning? And that's another Sega Genesis mini for you. Yeah, I'm actually really impressed with it. I haven't heard any negative reviews about it. You know, even like the Nintendo mini and the Super Nintendo classic, when those things came out, you know, they had a couple, you know, not a couple, but they had some negative feedback. The PlayStation had a lot of negative feedback, but all I've really heard from this one is fairly positive reviews, and it's got a pretty solid lineup of games. I think that what this could end up doing is, you know, reigniting a an interest in the Sega Genesis as far as the original console goes and collecting those games. And I don't know what the deal is as far as, you know, USB attachments and be able to put your games into there, but I think it's a pretty solid system. I mean, look at this. We got Road Rash 2, Shinobi, all the Sonic the Hedgehogs are in there, well, the, the ones that matter. Street Fighter 2, Streets of Rage 2, Vector Man is on there. So it's got a lot of like classic games. If you're someone who wants your kids to be able to play what you played as a kid, like this would definitely be something worth playing because 42 games is a lot. Like you can spend a lot of time. My only hope would be that they would let you save them. There's even an iteration of Mega Man, Mega Man The Wily Wars, which only was ever available on the Sega channel if you had that as far as your cable package is concerned. So That is a rarity indeed, but that is included one of the 42 games that's there. Comic Zone, so many other great games that are on it. And if you're a fan of the Sega Genesis or you have great memories or would like to get into what the Sega Genesis was all about, because with the knowledge now that everybody has about the war that went on in the early 90s between Sega and Nintendo and all the hubbub about that because of the book that came out in regards to it and hopefully an upcoming movie that Seth Rogen still hopes to produce at some point in time, we'll be able to know more and understand more about that. But for those interested in that era of time, when it comes to Sega Genesis, the Sega Genesis mini might scratch that itch. What are your thoughts out there on the Sega Genesis mini? Are you planning to get one? Are you interested in the games that are on it? Please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, coming up next, Josh and I are going to break down the numbers 91 to 100 on our top 200 and talk about the 25th anniversary of Friends and the Shawshank Redemption when we come back. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. All right, and we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. We're going to close out the show here. Everybody out there, if you want a listing of where we're at, because we're being played on radio stations worldwide seven days a week, check out our listings today, Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook, where you see some great listings for some awesome radio stations like our good friends at Mile High Radio. So if you want to go ahead and check out when we're on there or on any one of our other radio stations, check it out at Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook. And also you will see a listing of many of our podcast options as well. My friend, you've got a great thing going on with your book, Congratulations, You Suck. So please let us know where you can get a copy of that well-reviewed Congratulations, You Suck. Barnes & Noble, uh, BookLocker.com, and Amazon.com. And I think there's a couple other private sellers that sell them too. But 
yeah, check it out. Leave me a review. I'd be really appreciative. I, I think they're getting put back in stock on Amazon this week. So definitely tune in for that. And I always appreciate the support. I was reading through the internet about something about burning books week or burning books day. Hopefully that wasn't a part of it. Was it? As far as I know, nobody's burned a copy of it yet, but you know, who am I to uh, make those assumptions? You know, if they bought it, they can do whatever they want with it. Right? Right, right. It's yours. You paid the money for it and that's it. There you go. The chunk of change, the cashola. Once again, that's congratulations. You suck. You can get it today at, barnesandnobles.com, amazon.com, the Nook, the Kindle, so many other places. And also, if you want to go ahead and get it from your local Barnes & Noble, just walk right up and tell them, I want a copy of Congratulations, You Suck from Josh Peterson. All right, let's count down another 10 great video games on our list of the top 200 video games of all time. This time, it's games 91 to 100. I'm going to start to 100, my friend, and we'll start off with at 100, it's Tecmo Super Bowl. That is a fun game. 99 is Sunset Riders. 98 is Streets of Rage 2. 97 is Sonic CD. 96 is NHL 10. 95 is MVP Baseball 2005. 94, oh, we're going to talk about this one. Left for Dead 2. 93 is Gran Turismo. 92 is Excite Bike. And 91 is Castlevania. So I want to hear your thoughts, my friend. You heard a great list of games there. Those are our 91 to 100 picks on our top 200 video games of all time. It's a pretty decent list there. I know there's a lot of titles that I want to talk about. But first, I'll hand it over to you. What are some of the titles that stand out to you when it comes to games 91 to 100? So I've never played Tecmo Bowl, but I have done a lot of reading on it. And like, I love the idea. You are idea. missing out, my friend. I know. I, I always, like, I do want to, it's something I do want to play one day. But like, I love that this is the first game that was actually licensed by the NFL and the Player Association. We kind of a, a trendsetter. We don't have any more Tecmo Bowls out there. Obviously, it's not like Tecmo Super Bowl 2019, but it's just, it, it's notable for what it, for what it was. Uh, as I go down the list here, Streets of Rage has always been one of my favorite gaming franchises. Like the, I saw the fourth one's about to come out, and I'm pretty stoked about that. But you know, St- Streets of Rage too. Like this was one I can specifically remember going over to a friend's house. You know, and I, as a in elementary school, and I we crash in their living room and just play Streets of Rage all night because that was that was what we did. You know, you buy pizza and you turn on the Sega, you play Streets of Rage, and we always got super far and we died before we got to the last boss, but just it had hours and hours and hours of fun. You could pick up trash cans, chuck them at people, you know, spin your chains and your wrenches around. Like it was a truly great game. And this Uh, one you can actually get as part of the collection on the Sega Genesis mini. Yeah. I would feel wrong if that wasn't part of it. So we moved down here. Sonic CD was one I, I liked. It was not, you know, it was not, hashtag my sonic but like it was it was pretty cool moving down here left for dead too i know you want to talk about this one but i i've honestly never been a fan of this franchise i got into it at the end of my interest in zombies and i think i just didn't care anymore it'd be unfair of me to like really judge what this game is so i'll leave that that, to you you see that you feel that you feel that i'm stunned man i'm just absolutely stunned (laughs) I'll leave that to you to talk about. Gran Turismo, one of my 
favorite games of all time. Gran Turismo 1, 2 were really good. 3 was okay. I don't like what they did with like the driver coach ones, but it is such a great game. And it this was like the premier driving simulator. Like this is what inspired games like Forza, Project Gotham Racing. Like they were really ahead of their time. And I just remember having the the killer 90s soundtrack on this game. And it was just fantastic. Being able to, you know, tune your cars. It was challenging. It really had everything that a good racing game should be. Uh, Excite Bike, Castlevania. I have not played the original Castlevania. I haven't played Excite Bike. I've heard some things about Excite Bike, which sound pretty cool, but I haven't gone back to play it. But my question to you is, what do you think about this list? What's going on here? It's a pretty good list. Excite Bike, Castlevania, both very solid games for its time. They're very representative where they're at on the top 100. Also, Tecmo Super Bowl, just a blast to play back in the day. Hopefully, there will be more revisions of this coming in the future. Maybe we can go ahead and reenact that maybe on an arcade one-up or something like that that would be awesome to see but yes for me it is left for dead 2 which is one of the premier multiplayer co-op challenges ever put onto a video game format you don't have to like zombies this is not an issue of zombies or anything like that this is just fast frenetic gameplay that's they're coming at you wave after wave after wave of zombies coming at you you panicking and you know what if you have a group and they're not working together, it's chaos. It's utter chaos, and you're screaming for your life, whether you're running or you're stuck. Uh, There's a horde coming out that's beating on you left and right that you get caught up, and you're screaming as your life force gets quickly sucked out. It is just a blast. Or, Or even a fact, if you have to run, in fact, one of the best stages is one of the final levels as a bridge segment where you have to get across the bridge in a certain amount of time and you have to get to the military installation to get away on a helicopter. And the sheer madness that takes place and basically a free-for-all, run-for-your-life type deal is just pure insanity at its finest. It is just so funny, just so incredible, just so exciting. And what an adrenaline rush as you're playing it. Just truly a fun time. I love still playing it, even to this day, whenever I get the chance to do it with three great friends just cannot say enough good things about Left 4 Dead 2. I think I mentioned this a long time ago on the air where I was playing with other people playing co-op. Dark Carnival was the level where you're going ahead and playing in a carnival festival type format. We're in the middle of a battle of trying to fend off hordes and hordes of armies and someone threw a Molotov cocktail. Not on or not at the horde incoming, but the horde that's already on us. So in the middle of all this, you wonder why not only you're losing health from the zombies, but you're losing health, period, wondering the whole screen is lit up like a flame because somebody threw a Molotov cocktail and we're all screaming, what's going on, what's going on? Sheer panic and chaos because someone did that was just truly a lot of fun. And there's so many different points of time where you're just trying to go ahead and you're trying to work as a team. But 10 seconds later, you could be on your own just running for your life and saying, you know what, bye can't help you anymore got to go for the helicopter and get away or got to go into the get the gas cans for the car in the shopping mall or you have to go run 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 try and get the gas try and get more gas cans try and get more gas cans to fill up the car to get out of the shopping mall i mean these were truly a lot of fun games and you don't have to like zombies if you don't like zombies that's okay if you just like frantic action where one second you're working together and the next second you're panicking this is truly the game for you so left for dead 2 
I think it's a little bit high. I think it should have been a lot lower on the list because it is one of my all-time favorite games, but it is truly an outstanding experience. And Valve, if you're listening, L4D3. Of any of the games that everybody asks you to make, doesn't matter. Half-Life, yeah, that's great if you made one, but not higher on the list for me. Team Fortress, uh, if you want to go ahead, you do it, but not higher on the list for me. Any of the games that you've made in the past that you people are climbing for sequels, that's great, but they're not the best for me. It is L4D3. Left 4 Dead 3, make that game. Please, 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 please. <sighs> okay. I've said my sermon, man. Left 4 Dead 2 is a great game. There's a lot of great games on this list. And in fact, this was an outstanding 10 to talk about. If you want to check out our listing of our entire top 200 video games of all time, because the countdown's already done on our website, check it out today, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. My friend, it's been a great episode. I cannot thank you enough for being part of it. But before we head on out, we got to talk about two anniversaries. Friend, hey, that's a great word. Because 25 years ago this week, a little sitcom about some friends went on to go ahead for several years and make a truly successful television show that changed the way many of us, or many people during that time, look at situational comedies. I know you don't have many thoughts on Friends, but still, can you share us your knowledge of Friends and maybe some friends that actually like the show? You know, my cousins are older than me, and they kind of grew up watching the show, and I know that they're very fond of it, and they look at it the same way that, like, I look at How I Met Your Mother. You know, I look back on it, I'm fond of it, I'd buy the DVDs if they were ever on sale, and I would watch any reunion of it. Everyone I know that has grown up with this show has very fond memories of it, and they love the show. And the fact that it's so endearing and people are making Lego sets of it. And yeah, they look back on it very fondly. It really launched the careers of some like famous 90s actors. It's one of those shows that stands the test of time because like Seinfeld, like The Big Bang Theory, which we just talked about on the previous episode, The Office, these shows are either as popular as they were back then, or in the case of The Office, they've gained popularity since their run. And those shows and friends are garnering huge money in either syndication deals or in streaming deals. And in 2020, when Friends leaves Netflix, that's a huge blow for Netflix because it is one of their most popular series behind The Office. And with The Office leaving, and Friends leaving, that's going to leave a big gaping hole that will be Netflix's programming slate. But with HBO Max coming out in 2020 and them getting the Friends list, along with The Office being on the NBC Universal's Peacock, we're going to see a whole different type of streaming atmosphere because all these major shows that we love so much that are major parts of the streaming genre are now a big part of other channels outside of Netflix. This has been something Netflix has relied upon in Friends for quite some time. It's gonna be interesting to see how that translates when it goes over to HBO Max for Friends. Last thing we gotta talk about is the 25th anniversary of a movie that you and I both have come to appreciate over the course of time, and that's The Shawshank Redemption. I wish I could tell you I saw it in theaters, but it bombed in theaters. I did not see it in theaters. I, like many other people, caught on to it when it hit TNT and TBS, which 
because Castle Rock, one of the production companies responsible for the Shawshank Redemption, was owned by Ted Turner, who owned TBS and TNT that time. That's why it was replayed so much when it first came out to cable television. That's why it got so popular is because people on those platforms really got to see it. I remember it being played a whole lot during the late 90s on TBS and TNT. And now it's just become a favorite of so many because of it. This is one of those true success stories that you always talk about that doesn't do well in the theaters, but it does have a great afterlife. I think this is probably, of all the movies we've ever talked about, this is the shining example of that, in fact, of a movie that's bombed, but has seen a much bigger life after its theatrical run. Right. I remember watching it on USA, actually. I remember uh, is one of the movies they played very often. So like I had to watch it in different pieces, you know, as I had as time allowed me. But yeah, it's it's a great movie. I don't remember the, the theatrical run of it, but I just remember, you know, when I heard that it was written by Stephen King, it kind of blew my mind because, you know, he did the Langoliers and all that, all the, the stuff that I, as a kid, you know, The Shining, I, I just knew very few properties. I knew he was a horror guy. So it really surprised me that he did something like the Shawshank Redemption. I remember sitting down and being completely blown away by it. And like, there's a lot of really deep themes in that movie that, you know, even as an adult, I'm still like picking up on. I'm like, wow, I can't believe I didn't you know, notice that as a kid. So it's something that really, like I asked people, younger kids too, like, what's your favorite movie? And they'll like say, you know, the Shawshank Redemption is up there. So I'm glad people are still watching it. And I can see why it's lasted the test of time. Like it's something that everyone should have in their, you know, in their movie collection, just because it's such a great movie. I look at it in the same light as I look at like the breakfast club, you know, it's just, it's a classic. It's something that will continue to be a classic for as long as people care about cinema. It is a great entertainment success story. In fact, if you go to IMDb, it is the highest user-rated movie of all time, ahead of The Godfathers, ahead of everything else. That's truly a testament to how much love this film has, that everybody caught on to it after its initial theatrical run 25 years ago. So congratulations, Shawshank Redemption, on your 25th anniversary. Truly an outstanding film. And if you haven't for some reason caught it yet, You better catch it because, in my opinion, I don't know about yours, Josh, because I know you're a true Stephen King fan. I think this is his best work that's been translated ever onto the silver screen. Oh, I agree. Wow, we agree. All right. That's a great way to end the show. My friend, it's just been truly awesome having you on the show. Again, agreeing with me for once. But before we head on out, can you give everybody a detail on what's going on with Topic Oncalypse? Yeah, we actually started recording some new episodes. We're going to try to keep as frequent as we can. Brett's got some plans going down for the show. So I look for some new episodes, and we're going to be putting them up on both our channel and the Pop Culture Cosmos channel. So keep your eyes open for that, and you can learn more on the social media pages. But we're hoping to drop the first of our new content this week sometime. So be on the lookout for that. And for all you sports fans out there, the Inside Sports Fantasy Football Show, there's more episodes coming this week. So you got to check it out on the Inside Sports Fantasy Football channel on Anchor and Spotify. And the Lakers Fast Break Podcast also on its own channel on Anchor and Spotify as well. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day of paradise right here in the Pop Culture Cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping 
you have yourself a great